Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo Virgin. Hey guys, welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Cujo Virgil, and I'm very excited for our guest today. Today, we have a guest that specializes in multifamily investing, and today we're going to talk about using the 100-mile mindset for multifamily investing, how to raise money without asking for it, and how to produce massive income with effective asset management. But before we get into today's show, as you know, this show runs on reviews, and if you haven't yet, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever you're listening to today's show, to leave a review. It really helps with getting a high-quality guest like the one we have today and helps with visibility on the podcast platforms. So far, we've got a lot of feedback, five-star reviews, but we're looking for more feedback and reviews. And so thank you so much for leaving a review for our show today. All right. So today's guest is Jason Yerusi. Now, Jason is an active real estate syndicator and real estate investor Jason and his wife, Peely, founded Yerusi Holdings, a multifamily investing firm with over 2,000 units acquired since 2017. The firm repositions properties through operational efficiencies, moderate to extensive renovations, and complete rebranding. Now, Jason also hosts the Multifamily Live podcast, a podcast that provides actionable content and tools to build and strengthen your multifamily business. Jason is the founder of the Multifamily Live Club with over 3,100 members that focuses on multifamily investing and trains others on success formula for buying apartment buildings at www.sevenfiguremultifamily.com. And beyond real estate, Jason spends his time with his wife, Peely, and three young kids, Luke, Lily, and Leo, and now lives in Tennessee. Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Yannick, I'm psyched to be here, man. Excited to dive in. Awesome. Awesome. Before we dive into some of the things that we're going to talk about today, give our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So pretty non-traditional route. Um, left school early 2000s and had a finance degree, but decided that I was just going to go a different direction. And what that led is to a bunch of um, jobs that were just, um, we'll say my resting place for the moment, right? So I was a bartender, a waiter. I uh, traveled doing some, writing some financial papers, um, you know, catering jobs. I opened a brewery, opened a restaurant. And what I found is I was constantly doing these service jobs that I had to show up and do some task. And for that task, then I would get paid, right? So my time was continually being traded for money. And at that point, um, I just didn't know any other way. So I just kept putting my head down and trying to do that harder and harder and harder. And of course, you just find the same results, right? If you don't show up, you don't get paid. And that's the evolution of where I thought I was going. However, early in uh, 2011, 12, Hurricane Sandy happened on, on the East Coast, uh, decimated the East Coast. And my dad had a uh, has a construction, just retired, a business that's highly focused on flood zone properties. Um, so his business went from 10 to 12 jobs 
jobs a year to a couple hundred because of the need for this work to help restore homes that had been flooded. At that time, my girlfriend and my brother, who was working for me at these random jobs that we continued to create out there, all picked up, left New York City and moved out to New Jersey to help dad. And what we did at the time, it wasn't, of course, evident, is that we just traded one service job for another service job. Well, lo and behold, um, you know, Peely is now pregnant with our first kiddo. And we just looked at each other and said, this isn't going to be sustainable. The day's running us. If we had 25 hours or eight days in a week, we would use them all because ideally everything we did was us showing up, having to do some task to get a result. We kept asking the question, there has to be something else out there. We need to set the narrative. We can't raise a family in this direction. So we looked and came upon real estate. Now, real estate is this large word. You can do seven different thousand forms of real estate. And that's where a lot of get lost in the shiny object syndrome. But we just started doing stuff. And so we found, we started flipping homes, doing wholesale, purely pregnant, going to get a real estate license, uh, started doing Airbnb rentals. And so we're still doing the business, the construction business. And now we've just found a lot of other tasks and jobs that we're doing, right? So flipping, being very active, wholesaling, active, everything active. So lo and behold, we want this source creation to find us a value in getting our time back, controlling our day. And that goal is fleeting further and further away. So came upon someone investing out-of-state rentals. And lo and behold, we just tried that. And that was that first moment when we got the glimpse of how the evolution of creating a system, creating a team can benefit you through real estate. We started because we're a thousand miles away from these two and three units we were buying. We had to force ourselves to put together, get property managers, get contractors, get banks, and let little do we know, rent checks start showing up. Well, we weren't actually doing any of the work. So that was that aha moment, but we kept asking what else is there because just having a bunch of duplexes, triplexes around the city isn't scalable. So we ended up selling off those properties and going all in on large multifamily because that was that light bulb moment where that was the evolution of putting all the pieces together because we could do all those same things under one roof and basically treat it like a business that wasn't performing to improve the business. So we sold all that off in 2015, 2016, started to learn everything we could about large multifamily. In 2017, May of 2017, we brought our first property, which was a 94 unit apartment building in Louisville, Kentucky. That's a perfect introduction to how you got to where you are today. I love the fact that you kind of broke down like the trading time for money situations from starting from a job, but then moving into like the construction phase where a lot of real estate investors feel like they have to jump to before they get into multifamily. Then Correct. you realize like, man, I'm just kind of trading the same time for money, right? So I might as well just Correct. get into something larger with a business opportunity. That is so fascinating how you were able to kind of break that down because I think a lot of people think that, you know, the next step is jumping into maybe fix and flips when you're getting into real estate, right? And then get into multifamily after you got your training wheels off in some sort of real estate projects or after you got your footing somehow in real estate. Like give our listeners a little bit about if you were to turn back and start it all over, like why would you go straight to multifamily and like how would you do that and kind of just skip over the fix and flipping part? So ideally, you know, my story is, is as is. So those steps were needed for me to get there because along that time I was building up my confidence and know-how and wherewithal to be able to do different things and, and discoveries of life. So the skip probably wouldn't have been my evolution at that point. But if I did know what I was going to do now, you can go straight to multifamily. 
You don't need one to get to the other. That was just my path, right? It's, I, I equate it that, hey, if you want to learn to ride a bike, you don't have to say, hey, I need to go swim first, right? You know, like Because at that point, they don't equate. They're two different facets of business. And fixing and flipping, ideally, is finding something that has only one income stream that you have to go and improve it to get to another point. A large apartment building is more like a business, right? Say you go into any restaurant, you're like, hey, that restaurant down the street's not doing well, but this restaurant is doing well, what's the difference, right? That's what you can do in apartment buildings is you can look at it and say, why isn't this performing like the other ones out there? Well, can we just do that here? Well, yes, we can, because it's just like that other one, right? It's just right down the street. So just bad management. So if you have skills from your prior businesses, whether it be in some way of, of management or, or structuring deals or just being conversational where you can put together teams, right? You have the ability to go straight into multifamily because you have the, the energies that are needed. Most of the time where you get stuck with multifamily is that we all have that um, I'm going to do it myself mentality and you get stuck in that level and it doesn't equate to large multifamily. You may be able to do that with flipping. And so if you need that time to get that out of the way, that's fine. But when you go to these large apartment buildings, you need to have team around you to be able to help you succeed. Right. You have the plan. But if you are if you have 10 things to do, you're only doing one of them. Right. So you need team that can help support that mission so you can all create the goal and the outcome that you had envisioned. Yeah, man, I love the way that you broke that down, especially around the part where you mentioned. I think on the fix and flipping side is my own opinion that the biggest benefit probably is on the like the interior renovations construction side, which I think is probably applicable. But everything else, I think, you know, it's something like you mentioned, it's apples to oranges. Right dealing with larger transactions, building a business, building out an asset management team, all the things that goes in line with actually executing on a transaction is totally different from flipping a house. You know, when you do your turns or even like a renovation, right? You, you could have no clue in a renovation, but if you can find a trusted partner, that's the piece, right? The trusted partner. Because most of the time you have to say, okay, what steps need to go in what place, right? Am I being overpriced? Am I making good renovations for what the, the, the value can be created, right? That's a lot of the questions you need to understand from a flipping aspect. And that can help you from a construction side. However, if you can bring a partner in, right? So say I was like, I, you know, I don't know anything about construction. I'll go, well, Yannick does. So let me go ask, talk to him because he can come partner with me on this deal and he can help on that aspect. So I don't have to have this learning curve of you know weeks, months, years to figure out that piece of the puzzle. And then you push yourself forward to the goal much quicker. And it's, that's beautiful, beautiful there. It's all about teamwork at, at this stage, right? Doing larger transactions. I think a lot of people, when they get into real estate, they think that the dream is in the solopreneur yeah. lifestyle, right? You do everything by yourself. You know, it's cute. You post it on social media. Everyone praises you. But the entrepreneur, the business owner, the investor is the one that's creating that team, delegating to their respective partners and whoever they hire and just managing things at a higher level and looking to scale and grow and grow their business. Yeah. That's what we got into real estate for, right? Is the time freedom and the wealth generating opportunities within those tasks and not specifically being bogged down in the weeds and being a solopreneur where you're just, you're, you're the one that's doing the accounting. You're the one that's getting the materials. You're the one that's doing everything, right? I think the biggest thing for that is just a mindset shift. When it comes to that and being willing to delegate and understanding the importance of delegation and how that impacts your ability to scale. hundred percent, because you have to equate your time to some kind of dollar value, right? And it's not that some of these other tasks are, are below you. However, you may have different time allocation 
to be able to do higher value tasks. So if you think about it, if you do are doing all those roles, right? Well, if you value your time, say it's $200 an hour, $2,000 an hour, right? You should be doing those kind of tasks, right? So your biggest tasks really need to be going out there and finding deals to acquire and building your investor network to be able to raise capital. So at the same time, if you're out there running to Home Depot, that's not a $2,000 task. If you're out there uh, you know, doing bookkeeping, tracking your expenses, that's not a $2,000 task, right? But there is a person out there who this is a great task for them because if you were doing that task yourself, you're taking a great job away from someone who actually should be filling that, right? So if that bookkeeper is $30 an hour, well, great. Let them do what they are destined to do and where their hat needs to be in the ring. And you go focus on the bigger objective, the bigger roles that are going to get you further to your goal. Because if you're sitting on the sidelines doing 90% of tasks that really are, are tasks that can be given to somebody else at a rate that's lower, and you spend your time, only 10% of the time, finding deals and finding money, you're not going to get to your goals as quick if all, unless all of your energy was there. Yeah, 100% agree, man. 100% agree. I'm super excited for this for this uh interview today and you know having you on the show that that is something right there that a lot of people don't really get until they start spinning their wheels and burning a lot of time in real estate. So, definitely replay that and just listen to it and and understand why he says that specifically when it comes to scaling and and growing a business. So, you have this thing called a 100-mile mindset in multifamily investing. What is that? So many times we, we just see the goal, and then it scares us from the cliff, right? As if we get, we're going to take a step off the cliff and we're going to fall you know, 10 stories down to just some bottomless pit, right? Well, most of the time, the first step is literally off a curb. And because we focus on the goal and the goal is this huge black hole that we just never done, we can't imagine it, we just don't get started, right? So as I started running ultra marathons, I didn't, I didn't know past a marathon, I'd just never done it, right? So a marathon's 26.2 miles, right? You have a training schedule, maybe you run a couple 20 mile races before you do the race. Well, I'm setting up for a hundred mile race and it's not like a couple weeks out from the race, I'm just gonna go run 80, 90 miles just to get accustomed to it, right? So I said, well, how am I going to get used to this? Well, I said, every single day, I'm going to run six miles regardless, right? If it's freezing out, if it's a thousand degrees out, if my foot feels like it's going to fall off, if I have an earache, if I'm sick, you know, whatever it is, I'm just going to run every single day, six miles. And what I did is consistent condition my mind to keep going, even in times of discomfort. The hundred mile mindset is when I started that race, I said, well, I don't know how to run a hundred miles. So if I stood there at day one and said, today, I got to run a hundred miles. I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. I've just all these reasons I can't do it. That's most of us on our journey to the goals is you're going to give yourself every reason you can't do it. And because you're focused on a hundred miles away, you can't get started because you're, you're just petrified with fear. However, you said, okay, can I just take one step, right? So I said, okay, I know how to run six miles. Let me just get to the first aid station. Okay, I'm there. Okay, let me just figure it out. I'll run to the next aid station. Okay, let me just run to the next one. And let me just run to the next one. Let me just run another to the bridge. Hey, can I just run another 700 feet to that tree? Okay, let me get there and I'll just ask myself another question. Well, can I just run another 200 feet and then another 300 feet? Hey, can I just get up to that light right there? And lo and behold, you're at 100 miles accomplished in a series of six mile evolution because I took a step and created action. And if people look at their goals in that format, you find that so quickly you surpass your goal because it was just a mile marker along your journey and you have so many further goals past it. And it's all about just taking the action to get started by breaking the habits of stopping because you're just pictured on a big goal that scares you from the gate regardless. And it's having the perfect path is what we all want. 
But usually you find with that first step that if you had built a perfect path, you, you would have been wrong from step one, right? So taking that first step gives you the better questions to get better answers, which continues to push you to your goals because now you're taking action and that action is providing results. Maybe the results are good. Maybe they're, maybe they're bad. Who knows? But even if they're bad, they're still teaching you something that gets you closer to your goal because, okay, well, that was a bad result. Don't do that again. That's the evolution of your 100-mile mindset is creating victories that continue to push you forward, whether it's through good information or bad information or all lessons to be learned. Totally agree, man. I, I really love that. And success is sequential. You know, it's not a snap of the finger. Correct. You wake up and it's the end, right? Especially in the world of private equity and raising capital and doing deals and building out a team. It takes time to do all of that stuff. And I think, you know, focusing on that, those small steps can really kind of get you to the larger goal, which I think you, you've uh, outlined and, and talked about, right? It's about 100%. figuring out like, what's the next best thing that I need to do to be successful, right? It doesn't mean I have to be, get to a thousand units tomorrow. How can I get that first deal done tomorrow, right? How can I get that second deal done the next week and then the next week, right? Like, you you know, our listeners get the point. It's about just breaking down those bigger tasks or those bigger goals into small bite-sized goals and actionable items to get to that next step, which I think a lot of people overlook on their path to success and they end up getting frustrated and they say, well, this is not for me. Yeah. Well, if we look back five years, most of us can't think of a moment that scared us. And the reason for that is because today you're at a new place in your life and you've changed, you've evolved. And that thing that scared you five years ago is so small on your radar because you didn't know at the moment, it sounded like this Mount Everest thing, but it was just a speed bump. And as we look at going forward for our goals right now, what are the Mount Everest in front of us that actually are going to turn out to be speed bumps? And if you can think of it that way, just say, okay, this is just some resistance but I need resistance to continue to evolve. It's like the butterfly, you know, evolving from, you know, through chrysalis or chrysalis, right? It's like, or chrysalis. It's like that point of evolution that's needed part of your journey, right? So instead of saying, oh, this is a hard thing to do, just say, great, this is hard. So I'm on the right path, right? I'm trying something new that's going to help me get better. Yeah, I totally agree, man. It's like muscle memory, right? Building strength, right? Correct. <laughs> you have to break that muscle tissue down to get stronger. And I'm going back into my football playing days. I'm getting all technical there right you go. now. No, but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing when it comes to your mind. Your mind is, you know, to me is your biggest muscle, right? 100%. And so definitely totally agree with everything that you mentioned. So in the multifamily space, you have to raise the money, right? There's a deal, there's the expertise, and then there's the money. I definitely want to talk about how to raise that capital and, and kind of have it there so when you need it, you can access it and deploy it. It's specifically in, in this world that, that we're playing in, it's a longer sales cycle. To get someone to trust you with 50,000, 100,000, half a million, two million, most of the time for the average person, you know, take some time, right? Whether they have to get to like you, know you, and trust you, there are different phases within that that approach. But Maybe give our listeners a little bit deeper context of maybe some strategies that your company is currently using to effectively raise capital, maybe build your pipeline and and having that capital there so you don't necessarily have to ask for it when a deal is ready to go. So ideally, it's a great question. And it's the chicken or the egg, right? Most investors, if they haven't done a deal yet, said, well, I need this deal so I can go out there and raise money. But in fact, you need to raise awareness 
about your need and ability to go out and find these great deals. So you're prepared when you find this great deal, you can go out and close. The idea of having a deal and thinking you're going to be able to get all these people on board that are going to trust, know, and verify you and understand the transaction in, let's say, 30 to 75 days is daunting. However, if you go out there today and start to educate investors on what you're doing, why you're doing it, how it can benefit them, how it could prepare them for what they want, whether it could be tax advantages, you know, creating a retirement account, you know, building up a college fund for the kids, giving them cash flow to replace their expenses, right? All of these start to allow the investor to make good decisions. If you wait for that deal and then you have the deal and you go out and raise money, you need to be raising money and you need that money. Right, you're not coming from a point of of offering anymore. You're saying, "I need your money because I got to close this deal." And if I don't close this deal, uh, bad things happen. Right. However, if you come back and you don't have the deal yet, but you know what you're going to find, and I can come to you, John, I can say, "Listen, I'm investing in multifamily now. I know I haven't done this in the past, but you know, I do what I say I was going to do. You know, I, I said I was going to open that brewery. I did that. I said I was going to take that construction company, grow that construction company. I said I was going to do this." I have my tracker to lie on. Right. I have what I've done in my past to show up on, and that's where I can I can rest my laurels on. I can come to you and say, now I'm doing multifamily. I love the multifamily space because you can win in so many different ways, right? It's had an average annual return of of 9.8% year on year over the last 10 years rolling for decades now, right? You can get cash flow, meaning when the tenants pay their rent, it pays down the expenses and the mortgage and everything else is cash flow. And I'm able to distribute that out to the people who invest. You can get appreciation by the market, right? Because traditionally the markets get greater in value. And at the same time, you can force appreciation by making improvements. We We have depreciation tax advantages that real estate provides, right? There's so many great advantages and that can be passed along to you. Right. And the reason we do this is so we raise capital so we can buy these larger properties because there's more economies of scale. And together we can do this together where I'm not expecting you to do any of the active work. You get to invest passively. I'm going to find a deal, structure the deal, operate the deal, do all the functions of the deal. But you get the benefits of the deal by coming in and investing alongside with me. So that as a thought process is something that sounds interesting to you. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but at least it allows them to make a decision to say, oh, I want to hear more. Well, here's a one shooter I created. Why don't you go take a look at it, speak with anybody, you know, whether, you know, spouse or you know, your financial advisor, come back and ask questions, right? Because we're going to find these deals and it's a first come first serve basis. So when we do, we'd love to have you involved here because at that point, you know, we can all buy these great properties together. And what I usually do and what I did in our first one is I would frame the call if they are interested. Well, are you thinking about investing 100000 50000 And maybe they say 100000 Well, if you get 10 of those investors that all want to invest 100000 when you go out there to find and you find that deal, well, that's $1 million that you haven't gotten in your pocket, but you feel more confident than not that you have a chance of raising now. So when you're going out there to find deals, well, you can find a deal worth at least $1 million of equity. So typically for a deal, maybe you have to bring a third of it in cash. So from that point, say you have a million dollars of equity, you can go out there and find a $3 million deal. You'll get $2 million of a loan, get another million will be all of your money you raise. Now you can feel confident that when you find that deal, you take it back to that network and say, hey, listen, I just found a great deal I've been telling you guys about. You guys still ready to invest? And on that point, you find that's the evolution of being able to raise capital effectively. Totally agree. And a part of that, too, is just establishing that you're the authority when producing content, whether it's social media, email marketing, all the things Correct. that you can find to, to stay in front of your audience or your target investor. 
I found that that is the thing because the thing is that you have to find a way to stay top of mind in a world yeah. where there's a ton of people, you know, ton of attention being pulled from different directions, you know, whether it's social media, TV, your phone, you have to find a way to cut through the noise. And you do that by obviously showing up, being consistent, establishing that you're the authority, becoming a closer, showing your credibility, all the things that, you know, someone needs to see to know that you are the person that they should be investing in. I think a lot of people try to make it too complicated and think there's like some secret to like raising capital. There really is no secret. It's just about showing up. It's about consistency and it's about delivering on expectations and solving a problem. I think that is the secret that I think people try to make too complicated, but it's really not complicated. It's about how you actually implement, you know, your strategy on how you're going to, you know, go out and raise the capital through those systems. It's time and confusion. Typically, if you're not giving the investor enough time to make an educated decision or you're not giving them enough to understand what you're doing, they're going to say no, right? And so if you, if you can fill those two gaps to give them time so they can understand the process and allow them to understand how that can benefit them, you're going to be in a good response for them to see you because you've given them the key pieces as a trusted figure that they will intend or think about investing with. Yeah, totally agree. There's really no secret to it, right? It's just about showing up the consistency and showing them that you are the person that, that's actually going to help them get to where they want to be or alleviate some sort of problem, right? 100%. So, hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to MerlinAcquisitions.com slash passive guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash passive guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. Let's pivot to the asset management side of things, which is arguably the most important piece of the entire puzzle, right? You know, you, you raise the capital, you find a deal, you close the deal, but now there's the management piece. And I would argue that there's not a ton of content out there on how to actually asset management or asset manage and operate some of these properties. And I think part of that might have to do with maybe some of the distress that we're going to see in the multifamily space coming up just because people have just been focused on scaling, 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 but not actually building a foundation or focusing on the KPIs or some of the systems that can actually help them weather through times like this. So, well, the first question is, how do you make sense of where the market is today, given you know interest rates and whatever adjustments and prices that might be reflection of the interest rates today? And then how are you kind of producing massive income with an effective asset management in today's environment as well. So you look at it two sides, like rent growth is still historically high, right? So we're still seeing that even going forward, I think they're forecasting out that we may have, you know, less than 6% on the rent growth. However, vacancy is going to be at like 5.1%, which has typically been well below the averages. So if you think about that, we're going to continue to see strong dynamics in multifamily housing. It's just the weathering of the storm for now, at least for these two quarters, because we still have a high delta where this is then the, how press cap rates have gotten and how high or at least the, the rise in the, in the treasury rates, the 10-year treasury, it has left the smallest delta in history. 
So we're still seeing this big difference in um, in seller and buyer understanding of where prices fall, right? I heard it said, um, you know, buyers think it's 2008, sellers think it's 2021. So we're both at this part of, of difference in terms of where we see the market. And that's going to take time for things to come together, right? If we see a bigger dip into a recession, right, we'll see more price discovery. Or if we see that the labor market, which is really driving all this, continues to stay strong, we'll see a softer landing and we'll see ourselves come out pretty strong in the back end. What's made the big difference that's going to help multifamily really sustain here is that with the drivers of where we are today, with the number of people continuing to have a least higher income, we have seen the price of housing go up three and a half times compared to the rise of, of rental rates. So although rental rates have still gotten very much stronger, right, compared to where they were just two years ago, we saw more rent growth in the last two years than we had seen in the five years prior. It doesn't stand a leg compared to where housing's gone. So most people with the rise of interest rates, although they wanted to buy a house, one, couldn't get into a house in the last two years because they were outpriced and there was 30 people. Now the amount of house they can get has now been cut in half because a, uh, say, you know, interest rate when they had, they could afford a $1,500 uh, payment just months ago, right? It's eight, six, eight, 10 months ago, maybe could get them a $350,000 house. Today that gets them a $160,000 house. Well, that doesn't exist. So they're going to say, I need to rent for longer. I need to stay in the rental pool, which is continue to put downward pressure on multifamily housing, right? Of course, this is market for market, right? Some of the uh, Midwest cities will see, you know, more continued growth because they just had did not have those big peaks. But we'll see some of these other markets that had these huge tick ups in rental rates that will see some uh, cooling down. Right. So you have to look at this market to market. But overall, the fundamentals still stand very strong for multifamily. That said, when we look at asset management, it's a key consistency of the message. Right. We're actually if we are the asset manager and the owner, that's one thing. But typically we're taking the vision of the owner and through asset management, conducting that with the team. Right. We're the in between between the goals of ownership and the property management company. So we are we have a plan that's been set up and we're there to make sure the plan is being implemented. Typically it goes on three sides. So leasing, collections, and construction, right? Those would be the three pieces that we're mainly focused on to make sure that we have a good lease up product, right? That's available. However, we're doing this in a fashion that can be timely and also fit within the model of where we need to get for returns. So as we look at a model, right, if someone's gone and underwritten a deal, if they think, hey, we're going to underwrite and we're going to turn over 100 units, right, all 100% of the units in the first year, well, is that feasible, right? Do the leases end in the time frame that we could actually do that? Okay, that would be number one. Is the market able to absorb so many units coming on month and month, right? So eight units a month, give or take, each month, can they absorb at the new rental rights that we think that we can hit? That said, do we have a team that can go and renovate eight units a month? So you have to look at all these different dynamics and how they work together to make sure that the on-paper vision is actually attainable in the field. And when you put those pieces together, that becomes effective asset management. Yeah, totally agree with that. So let me ask you a question. What's your typical kind of cadence like within your asset management business unit? You know, Are you looking at certain KPIs? Are you kind of just reviewing reports and talking it over with your property management company, you know, maybe on renovations? Are you, you know, how are you staying, you know, on time with your renovations? Like, what does that kind of cadence look like as well? 
It is market to market, and it just depends on the need of the market and the state of where we came into a property. Of course, if we come into a property that's just been um, highly renovated and it's more of a marketing play, that's going to be one approach. Or if we go into a building that's still majority of classic units, that's going to be another approach, right? So it's going to come down to market to market. We have weekly standing property management calls with all of our property management partners. That said, we get weekly reports so we can understand the format week on and week off, right? We are focused, again, on, of course, occupancy our uh, leasing numbers compared to where collections are, because there's occupancy and economic occupancy, our expenses and how our expenses are trending compared to our forecast. And then looking at anything in our renovation plan, are we doing the renovation plan as needed in the appropriate timeframe that we destined on the onset? So if you go on that call, it's basically leasing, collections, construction, and any other open items that need to be addressed on that call. That's how I'll do a property management call. Yeah, it's all about the having that infrastructure and having that um, those systems and, and processes to help you be successful within Correct. the asset management space. You know, my, I'm an asset manager by trade and um, you know, I've found that, you know, your job shouldn't be focused on putting out fires as an asset manager, right? It's about yeah. implementation, figuring out how can you match up what you're actually doing in real time with the performer, right? And that Correct. is essentially how you keep your investors happy. Right. That is essentially how you're able to get to the returns that you said that you were going to get for your investors and get that repeat investor rate within. So it's this never ending kind of cycle. Right. Whenever you're doing a project. Yeah. From acquisition, raising the capital, providing value, bringing in those investors, getting them to invest, ensuring that they're getting a great experience with your company and investing with you, delivering on expectations, giving back the capital, having them reinvest again you know, proving that you're the person. So it's, you know, it's a lot of work in the space that we play in, but it just comes down to, you know, having that infrastructure and systems specifically in the asset management space. So I love the way that you broke that down. 100%. Jason, tell me a time, you know, maybe it was in the past where you felt, you know, stuck and frustrated on your journey. Maybe it was a breakthrough moment that you had to overcome to get to the other side. Maybe share some insight on maybe a struggle or a breakthrough moment that you felt like you had to get through within your real estate journey to get to the other side. Maybe our listeners are going through something, struggling to get that first deal done, figuring out how can they get into the multifamily space, you know, something that you'd be able to share with us today to inspire, you know, our audience to, you know, move forward in the multifamily space. Well, we were doing it all ourselves. You know, there, our first couple um, acquisitions, our syndications, although we did raise capital from investors, uh, we were doing it purely myself, you know, by ourselves. And there's a point where, where you try to do that until you understand that it's not sustainable, right? Because you're not giving your best across all formats, right? If I'm out there talking to investors, I'm not looking for leads. If I'm out there looking for leads, I'm not looking at different debt options that could be good for leads or I'm not doing investor relations, right? So there was a point of pinnacle moment when we were, were the breaking point, right? We were the one just trying to carry all the plates at the same time here. So us hiring, right? That was our first impetus where it was a real struggle. So we started hiring and then we started hiring pretty aggressively. We have six on our team now. Um, and that's allowed us to continue to grow and to scale because now we have a lot of people who come in there and add the support levels. So we're not trying to do this hat, this hat, this hat, this hat all at the same time. Um, it just goes back to, you know, when we first talked about building a business where you're not the solopreneur, right? Where you're not the person that's wearing all the hats, where you're the one that's building a business that you can actually hand off to someone else, right? That's the whole point of getting into real estate is not to do everything by yourself and create another job for yourself. It's about 
that financial freedom and cash flow and creating wealth and passing that on to the next generation for them to take off and move forward with it. So I think that's the struggle that I had too when I got into this game as well was figuring out that was trying to think that I can do it all by myself, right? Yeah. And um, you know, as you kind of get into the weeds of things, you can look up and it's like, well, this is a ton of work. <laughs> that's true. So uh, yep. if there's any advice to any of our listeners today, find a partner as quickly as possible and figure out how can you build a business that's scalable. And all, that all depends on how big you want to go in the in the multifamily space, right? Some people just want to do a couple of deals. Some people, you know, want to create a billion dollar portfolio. But I think scaling and, and having those systems at any level within the real estate spectrum is beneficial to all real estate investors. I absolutely agree. So you've been on this journey for a long time. You know, if you had to start this marathon all over again, what do you think you'd do differently that would contribute to your success? And I think we probably touched on it, but is that the only thing maybe that you would think that, you know, if you were to start over again, you know, that would probably be the biggest thing that you would do differently that would maybe accelerate you to where you are today? You know, we probably moved too slow and that sounds funny, but you know, we, we did the first one and then like let it kind of like fester before we did the second one with large apartment communities. We were ready. So at that point, believe in yourself because many times you have everything you need to get started and take action and you just keep waiting for that one more thing. If I can just read that one more book and listen to that one more podcast, or just go out there, you have the action steps to take, go get started, right? Because you need to start running with, with the information you have to find what fits for you. Yeah, I think that is something that, a lot of people really struggle with is they don't really understand that there's strength and momentum. When you close your first deal, that's probably the, the pinnacle time to go out there and just scream to everyone that, hey, I just did what I said that I was going to do, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And just create a ton of content and build on momentum. I think people need to understand in this business, it's all about momentum too, right? Especially when it comes to sharing your message, because people want to see, although people want to see your content, people want to see that you're actually doing what you said that you do. Right. And that builds additional credibility and that allows you to raise more and more capital for your investment. So um, it's just like a never ending cycle. So give our listeners a little bit more about the seven figure multifamily dot com group. So we started this journey and just found a lot of great steps and learned a lot from people doing this. And, and you, you had to go to a lot of different places, right, to figure out how to do this multifamily journey. Well, we came together, myself, Peely, and two other partners to form Seven Figure Multifamily. And it's a one-stop shop to help people get from where they are, either in a real estate journey or where their job is, to be able to buy apartment buildings, right, so they can accomplish their goals, right? So these have all the steps in place here that you can go out there and actively buy apartment buildings. Um, through this mastermind. So we have a group of about 75 businesses in there, all going out there, either buying their next multifamily property, a bigger multifamily property, or their first multifamily property. And it's been pretty amazing to see people have that success. So we do an event every June, that's Multifamily Live. The Nash one's here, next one is here in Nashville. So you can go onto seven figure multifamily, number seven, the words figure multifamily.com, find out a lot more about that or the mastermind itself. Absolutely. And definitely check out the website. I know there is a ton of value that Jason can provide to you. Um, he's a really sharp guy. We met on Clubhouse and I was instantly drawn to you know his level of depth within the multifamily space. So Jason, if our listeners want to follow you, follow your company, maybe invest with your company as well, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you and your company and stay involved? 
Hey, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me on here. So you can go over to yerusiholdings.com. You'll find everything about our company, uh, just a bunch of things about the uh, projects we're working on, projects we've worked on in the past here, or you can find me on any of the social platforms at Jason Yerusi. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We talked about the 100-mile marathon of multifamily investing. We talked about capital raising. We talked about interest rates and the environment today, asset management, just a ton of information in today's podcast, actionable information. So thank you for being a guest on our show. Thank you to the listeners again for tuning in to another episode of the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss another episode. And please leave us a review if you felt like this episode was very, very helpful in your real estate journey. So let's take action. Be great today. And remember that real estate is a marathon, not a sprint. So run your own race. Thanks again, Jason. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.